And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome back to another edition of Atlantic and Coastal, the Athletics ACC podcast, the only basketball podcast in the game named after football divisions. I am Andy Bitter, the Virginia Tech beat writer. Uh, I cover primarily football, so we like to have people on this podcast that are smarter than me about basketball. Uh, normally, we do that with Brendan Marks. This time, we're adding to that. Matthew Gutierrez, our Syracuse writer at The Athletic, is debuting on the podcast. Brendan covers UNC and Duke for us as well, so uh, we have a wealth of basketball knowledge today. Uh, I just need to be the point guard just passing off to people who are going to be draining threes all day. So I'm fine with that. We'll call this a three-man weave on the podcast. I think if it was a football season, we call this the triple option podcast. But we'll keep it to the basketball themes here. Uh, guys, I think the big story in the ACC right now is that Duke is not very good. Uh, I was going to pose this right off the bat normally. I, I, I'm like, how can I phrase this question? I'm, I was going to say, if the tournament started today, would Duke be in it? And then I looked at the record and all their metrics, and it, the, the obvious answer is no. They would not even be close to being in right now. I looked at some bracketology. They're not even mentioned as like the last four, last eight teams in. Uh, so I'll alter this question to you now. And, and Brendan, I'll start with you since you obviously have uh, look at Duke close up. Uh, can this become a team that makes the tournament before the end of the year? It should be able to, Andy. Whether it actually can or not is, is another question entirely. I mean, it, the thing about Duke this season is the talent is still there. I mean, we're not talking about the elite, you know, top end of the lottery talent. They don't have a Jason Tatum or a Zion or uh, they don't even have a Cam Reddish this year. But what they do have is a lot of really good role players who when they are only doing those specific jobs um, are really adept at what they're supposed to do. The problem is right now with Duke that they don't have anyone anyone who can really compliment Matthew Hurt right now. You know, Matthew Hurt has sort of been their one constant all year, leading scorer in the ACC. Uh, you know, he was absolutely on fire against Louisville this weekend. And they don't really have anybody else who sort of alleviates some of the burden on him. So I, I think until Duke sort of develops a, a second option that's capable of being Matthew Hurt's Robin, I see this team continuing to struggle. That's not to say that they can't figure it out. That's not to say they can't be a tournament team, but... Um, as of today, as of the recording of this podcast, Duke's best win is over Notre Dame, and that is not a very good win. So, uh, Matt, maybe you're a little bit less convinced than I am that they can turn it around, maybe more so, but I, I really am struggling to see a path to Duke ramping off and rolling off enough quality wins the last month and a half of the season to, to make it into the big dance. That's a good summary. It's so unorthodox to see see this team, you know, NIT kind of conversation here. Uh, I'm interested, though, and, and I don't have it in front of me, how many times they've been to the NIT and let's just say, what, 20 years, pick, pick a time frame. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, so you saw the game Saturday. I saw the highlights. I didn't see the whole thing. But, 
I know Hurt is averaging almost 20 points a game, right? I think he's, like you said, first or second uh, in the ACC. He doesn't go off on Saturday. He probably lose that game by what, 15, 15 or 20. I mean, he's, he's really carried them he, hitting these, you know, long mid range, uh, crafty around the rim. Uh, they don't seem to have a, a whole lot, like you said, beside him. I don't know if they have a whole lot of front court, uh, you know, help or, or the usual, you know, kind of stud center that they've had in, in past years. Well, I'll answer the you, trivia question here. The last time they played in the NIT was 1980 and 81. Coach yeah. first year. Oh. That one year where Pete Gaudet took over when Krzyzewski had the back surgery, they were 13 and 18 and 2 and 14 at the ACC. So they right. didn't even qualify Gosh. for that. Uh, it's been a minute uh, since Duke has struggled that much. I mean, Jalen Johnson is the guy that you would think would be, I mean, you mentioned who's going to be the Robin to Matthew Hurt's Batman, but he would have been the guy, maybe even the Batman in that situation. And he just, I mean, he, he had the, the injury and he's coming back from that and he just doesn't quite look right. I mean, he had a pretty good game uh, against Pitt, 24 points in 33 minutes and then 27 minutes against uh, Louisville, six turnovers, nine points in that game. So he's still kind of working his way back in. Can he figure it out uh, to be the guy, the, the, the star recruit that he was coming in? Yeah, I, I think he can be. And but here's the thing, you know, the reason why you saw him go from having I mean, he was he was great against Pitt. He wasn't just good. He was great, you know, and if he doesn't, um, you know, have some of the fouling issues that he does late in that game, I think there's a chance that that Duke actually might be able to scrape away that one. But um, against Louisville, the, the major problem with Jalen Johnson keeps showing up and, and that's that the dude just can't hold on to the ball. He had five turnovers in the first, you know, six or seven minutes of the game. Um, then he gets into foul trouble. Coach K sits him for a long period of time. He comes back into the game in the last two minutes after Matthew Hurts fouled out. He scores the go-ahead basket with about a minute, minute and a half left in the game. And then his next possession turns it over, and then it just sort of fell apart from there. And, and the final score ended up getting a little more out of hand. But, um, yeah, I, you know, I think what Matt said is totally right. If Matthew Hurt doesn't play the way that he did – against Louisville, that's probably a game that Duke is losing by 10 or 15 points. And the reason why I think that's so incriminating is because to a man, Coach K, Matthew Hurt, Wendell Moore, everyone who spoke for the team after that game said, this is the best game we've played this year. They said, this is the most competitive we've been. This is the hardest we've played. This is the most prepared that we were. And it took Matthew Hurt turning into, you know, throwback Dirk for it to even be a contest. So in terms of Matthew Hurt and Jalen Johnson learning how to play together, I think a lot more of that learning curve falls on Jalen's plate than it does on Matt's. I think Matt has sort of established himself as a go-to offensive option. Um, but yeah, for Jalen, it's got to be using your size and transition. It's got to be getting a rebound as a small ball five and running the floor. Um, so far, he hasn't shown an ability to do that consistently without giving up the ball. And so, uh, yeah, you know, you see a lot of talk on Duke Twitter these days about between this team and 94-95, who would win a seven-game series? And, and right now, I think you're getting a lot of love for 94-95. Well, I, I think uh, it was interesting after the game uh, on Saturday, I think it was, Coach K got a little snippy, uh, I think might be the best way to describe it. Uh, You're being polite, Andy. With a, a student <laughs> reporter. Listen, it, it happens. I mean, you know, these coaches will sort of condescend to young reporters. As somebody who had to interview Al Groh as a younger reporter, uh, I can speak to being condescended to sometimes. I, I, honestly, you look at the big picture, I didn't think it was as bad as some people made it out to me. It's like, oh, he dressed down this kid. It's like he just kind of 
was condescending to him and, and talking like this. Uh, Matthew, I'll ask you: Did you think it was a big deal, or, or are we uh, are we making too big of a deal out of this whole thing? Yeah, pr- probably the latter. I mean, look, you know, Beheim's obviously one to to have criticized a few students in his in his uh, forty five <laughs> years as head coach. It might have just happened a few weeks ago on Zoom, um, <laughs> but you know, it happens all the time. I think uh different with all these with a lot of these coaches really i mean coach case i think stood out maybe because of zoom uh and the, the manner in which she did it i don't think it was a a great example i mean hopefully after after you know failing a knee contest you are thinking about the next step and some extra <laughs> help and doing some homework um, but I don't, I don't think it was too much of a, a big deal honestly Part of me is just like, just could you just answer the question and not have to be condescending about it? Like, I watched Aaron Rodgers yesterday after a very difficult NFC Championship game loss, and somebody asked him, where do you go now? Like, what's next? Like, it's sort of a common answer, and he didn't be like, I just lost this game. I can't think about that. And like, I I don't know. It's a pretty standard, uh, benign post-game question. I thought that was interesting that that is the thing that set him off, uh, perhaps uh, indicating a little bit of stress level on Coach K's part in this whole thing. I'll ask both of you now. Do you think Duke can turn this around? Oh, boy. I'll I'll go first, Matt. I'll fall on the sword. I, I, I say yes, that I still think this can be a tournament team, but the room and the time needed to turn it around is very quickly dwindling so the hourglass has been flipped right you know duke's uh clearly in catch-up mode at this point already you know it's the middle of january and they're already in catch-up mode and the thing about the thing about this team that makes me still think it can get together and, and turn things around and become a tournament team is twofold number one their schedule over the next couple of games is not that awful daunting you've got georgia tech you've got clemson miami north carolina notre dame nc state wake forest Um, I I would say that maybe outside of the game against North Carolina, Duke's probably going to be favored in all of those. So I think that's one reason for optimism. Um, And the second is I've seen Jalen Johnson in his best, and I know that this dude can play like a potential lottery pick. Um, When he gets downhill, there simply are just not, and there's not a, a wealth of guys in the ACC that can physically compete with him or physically stop him. So I'm going to go with yes. I think that Duke does eventually end up getting into the tournament. But if a couple of these gimme games in the next few weeks go the wrong way, um, I think very quickly that 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 sentiment can flip quickly. Um, and also, Matt, you, you wouldn't know about any of those Bayheim condescensions from personal experience, would you? There's the, There's no chance you've been on the other end of any of those. Not too many. I mean, I think maybe one, one or two early on. I think I, I once I wrote for the student paper that the forward, uh, who's now in the G League, um, should have started at center, and then he went off at the, at the next press conference. Uh, but not too much. Nothing. Nothing direct at me. Thank, thankfully, um, you know, it's uh, it's a, it's funny. You know, what moments he will choose to go off. Sometimes it's after a twenty point win. Sometimes after a twenty point loss. Sometimes. Road home, it doesn't matter. Um, but as far as Duke goes, excuse me, I, I, I absolutely believe. <clears throat> losing my voice here, I absolutely believe um, they will uh, make the tournament. I mean, look, you got Coach uh, Coach K here. I'm interested in the adjustments he makes these last few weeks heading into, uh, you know, knock on wood, the ACC tournament and the, and the big dance just getting played overall. I think uh, they make those adjustments. And look, the other thing here is the ACC really, aside from the first couple teams. There's a path for so many teams here. I mean, Syracuse defense was a disaster uh, a week or two ago. There's a path for them. Uh, there's a path for Duke. There's a path for uh, obviously the top couple teams. But there's 
there's like a three to from teams like three to six. There's just a lot of room, I think, for someone to, you know, take these wins, win these road games, win, beat these teams that are not ranked and, and, and vulnerable. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. Yeah, I think as long as you steer clear of slandering Jerry McNamara, you're okay at Syracuse. You're not going to get too bad from Bayheim. I want to shift to some teams that actually had good weeks uh, last week. I, I, there were four of them that I thought had pretty good weeks. Uh, Florida State beat Louisville, then just crushed Clemson. Uh, Brendan's uh, best team in the ACC, Clemson, has lost by 35, 19, and 18 since he made that statement. I just thought I'd... I, cur- I cursed them, Andy. <laughs> we could just say it. We could just say it that I cursed just them. I thought I'd point that out. UNC is coming together, beats Wake Forest and NC State last week. Uh, Syracuse uh, beating Miami and Virginia Tech to get back on track. And I think Georgia Tech showed something. Uh, they clobbered Clemson. They almost beat UVA uh, on the road. I want to start with Syracuse uh, because we have a Syracuse expert on the podcast here, Matthew. Uh, how big were those wins uh, to, to get even in the ACC uh, and to do it against a ranked team like Virginia Tech? And I know maybe a little question marks about whether Virginia Tech should be ranked or how high they should be ranked. But Syracuse handled that game. I went mean, it was 78 to 60, uh, played really good defense. Uh, you give up 60 points in a game, you know, not too long after you give up 64 points and a half uh, against Pittsburgh. I have to imagine that's one of the big stories. But uh, what clicked for this team last week? Sure. I mean, they, they entered the week, um, you know, seven and four, one and three in conference for the third time in the last four years. And I think the thought was, here we go again, another bubble year. This team has been on the bubble essentially for, you know, six years since the 2015, you know, NCAA uh, investigation took away uh, most notably wins, but also scholarships. They just haven't quite been the ranked team that they were from, you know, 09 to 14. They were consistently top 20 team, and they haven't really been at that at that level since. He thought, here we go again. And then look, they they go beat Miami uh, in a blowout, and they and they basically route Virginia Tech at home. Uh, I will say, you know, both the last two opponents didn't have capable really capable big guys or at least guys play well inside and this is a accused team that's limited inside brendan knows well it's been the story the past couple of years you know when, when duke and carolina do do have those bigs it presents a problem for for the syracuse zone but uh they're going to be all these teams that that don't have capable centers inside that are going to go get double digit boards and 15 20 points a game they have the the dynamic perimeter players syracuse does to to beat a lot of teams to have a, a top 25 offense per Ken Palm. The defense is, you know, I think middle of the pack in the sixties or seventies right now. So room for improvement, but if they can just continue the offensive power 
and then just be confident on def- on the defensive end. Just get some stops. Uh, they're gonna they're gonna be a I think a, a top five team in the league by by year end. The, the big question is just can they keep this defensive intensity moving forward? Yeah, I think it's interesting. You look at that team. Uh, you know, Quincy Gurrier, uh, Marek Dolajai. I just wanted to pr- prove that I could pronounce those two names. I was practicing <laughs> that was them. really impressive. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I look at some of the metrics on this team, and they're the, I, either the top scoring team in the ACC or, or up there. I don't know if those stats were updated when I looked at the other t- uh, day. Field goal percentage way up there. Uh, as you mentioned, they, they defend okay well enough. It just seems like you look at the margins of this team and like they should be better than what they were uh, at one and three a week ago. And I was kind of maybe even writing them off a little bit and then they bounce back with this win. Uh, I, I noticed they're not an especially deep team. Uh, they only essentially played like six guys against Virginia Tech. Uh, is that going to be enough for this team going forward? Is that something they're trying to address? You know, the thing with, with Bayheim is, look, they they rarely play more than seven or eight anyway. And then this year you had your starting center, Brahma Sidibe. He's out with what we think is arthritis. Uh, he just had a, underwent surgery on his knee in December. So he's out. He would, quote-unquote, be the seventh guy. Uh, but right now, yeah, it's the five starters. And then Kadari Richmond, arguably, you know, has maybe the highest upside on the whole team, is the sixth man. Uh, and that's it. That's that's their that's their rotation right now. They do have a backup center, Jesse Edwards, who you could kind of say is the seventh guy who will get some run uh, probably tonight uh, or probably against bigger teams rather, you know, just overall um, guys who, have, you know, teams with centers that, that are capable because Jesse's got that seven foot five wingspan. You know, he's, he's a commanding presence and they're going to need him against big teams just for rebounds and to have a rim protector. But uh, moving forward, yeah, this is a six man rotation. You know, hey, with opt-outs, uh, you know, we've had this season with COVID pauses. Who knows if that's going to bode well in the next few weeks here, but it is what they're doing. They're sticking to their best six and, and hoping it, it pays off. You mentioned tonight, we're recording this on a Monday, Syracuse has a huge game tonight uh, at Virginia. Kicks off a uh, you know, pretty critical stretch here. They play at UVA against NC State uh, versus Louisville at Clemson at NC State. Uh, I think after that, we'll have a really good idea of what the Syracuse team is. Uh, what kind of shot do you give them tonight against Virginia? I mean, that is a tough place to play against a, a pretty tough team. Uh, how do the the Orange match up against the Cavaliers? Yeah, I give them a, a shot down there. I mean, I think they're only uh, projected to lose by a few per Vegas and per Ken Palm, but I think they're in this game. The big question, again, is going to be the defensive effort. This team... Didn't bring it to at Pitt. You saw it gave up 64 second-half points. Uh, Beheim calling it maybe the worst defensive performance he's seen in his half-century at the helm. Uh, and then you go you go back and you give up fewer points in the next two games overall in each game, uh, not not just one half. So uh, something, something there to build on. Virginia is going to be better than Virginia Tech in Miami for sure, and you're at UVA with you know obviously a limited fan base. I think, I think they allowed basically family – and maybe some boosters is what I understand, but so it won't be a, a really a home home court environment. But nonetheless, you're on the road there. Syracuse did actually win win at UVA last year in overtime. Um, I, I think UVA takes this game. Uh, I think for Syracuse though, the positive is if you can just keep this competitive, right? If you're if you're in there in the final, you know, under four minute timeout, if you're if you're still in this ball game, I think you chalk that up as a step forward, right? You started again one and three. Defense wasn't there. Rebounding was suspect. 
Now you have five guys averaging double figures. The defense is coming along. You know, see what you do. Obviously, picking up a, a win here would be huge, right? Back-to-back wins over ranked teams. Move you to four and three in the ACC. All of a sudden, maybe you're a top four team or definitely a top five team in the league at that point. So, uh, you know, either way, I think the Qs can can draw some positives from this game. And then they, when they have, as you said, a pretty big stretch coming up. So it's not just the Virginia Cavaliers. It's these next few NC State sprinkled in. Uh, I'm interested to see how they do against Louisville at home as well. Uh, and just see, you know, if there's, if there's defensive progress to be made, because this is a stretch that will probably determine uh, whether they're in or out in the tournament. Yeah, I think a big week last week for Syracuse, big weeks coming up here. Another team that sort of got itself back uh, into the mix a bit, North Carolina. And Brennan, I'll turn to you for this one uh, since you cover them so closely. Uh, 80-73 win at Wake Forest, uh, 86-76 win against NC State, gets them to 5-3 and three in the ACC, 10-6 and six overall. Uh, is this team finally putting it together? I think we always kind of expected North Carolina to figure it out eventually, but uh, is this the moment where it's actually happening? I think it is, and the main reason I say that is because you look at, at the, the makeup of this roster, and there are six freshmen who are not just playing, but playing major roles. You know, um, It's actually interesting against NC State. That was the first game in over a decade that UNC has had four freshmen all score in double figures. So um, I, you definitely are seeing it start to come together. And I think the main reason why is the evolution of some of these young perimeter players. So uh, Caleb Love has, has notably struggled all season long. I mean, there have been times when he basically gives the ball away just by stepping foot on the court. Um, that can't continue to be the case. And, and it hasn't been. You, you know, of the past couple of games, his three-point percentage is slowly ticking up. His turnovers are slowly ticking down. Um, he's never going to be like a true number one setup assist man. You know, UNC fans pining for... Kendall Marshall or Kobe White are, are going to be solely, uh, you know, they're going to be very sorely disappointed. But at the same time, he is finally showing some of the efficient scores mentality that we've expected to see from him all year. And that in and of itself has sort of transformed the way the, the UNC roster looks, because when Caleb Love is able to do some of the things that he is just dribbling, penetrating, getting inside, all of a sudden now there's a little bit more compaction in the center of the opposing defenses. Guys are drawn into him, and there are lanes for him to kick to a wide open. R.J. Davis, Kerwin Walton, Andrew Playtech, and and the guy who we have to mention, um, Anthony Harris, finally being back for UNC. I know we've talked about him a little bit on the pod before, but um, the difference that he makes for UNC in terms of having another perimeter shot maker, having another secondary ball handler, having another on-ball and, and an off-ball switchable defender, um, that is what UNC was missing. And so I think Caleb Love and Anthony Davis are really sort of spearheading uh, this this charge from UNC. They look to me like one of the four best teams in the league. If those guys continue to improve at the rate they have the last few weeks, there, there's no reason why UNC shouldn't have a double buy in the ACC tournament. Who is UNC's best player? Oh, if only we knew. <laughs> uh, that's a great question. I, I think ideally you would have thought that it was going to be Garrison Brooks. Um, you know, Garrison Brooks is the ACC preseason player of the year. He was one of the only, if I, if I recall correctly, one of the only all ACC players from last season to be returning this year. You know, most of the first team departed for the NBA, um, but it's not Garrison Brooks. And I think right now you, you would probably venture that it's 
one of UNC's other big men, whether it's Armando Baycott or it's Daron Sharp. I think you're looking at one of those two guys as UNC's best player. Um, Baycott has just been so, so consistent. I mean, he's he's almost a walking double-double. Um, and he he had flashes of being this kind of dominant interior player last year um, against Oregon, which was, you know, for my money, one of the 10 best teams in the country. He dominated Oregon last year, uh, had his best game of the year. And, and you're just seeing it on a night-in, night-out basis. When he gets the ball in his spot on the blocks, he has the post moves to score. I mean, he just feels that confident that he's going to take it to the hoop. And then Dayron Sharp, on the other hand, he's the best passer on the team. Not the best passing big, the best passer, period. I mean, um, there, there are some real high, high IQ basketball plays that he makes, um, whether it's in the open court or in the half court. Uh, and then, yeah, also he's a physical force. I mean, the dude lives above the rim. He's 6'10", 280. He looks like he he just walked out of a like build to create a player shop in a video game. Um, it's hard not to love the way he plays, too. He's super infectious and fun. Uh, so I would say it's probably one of those two guys right now. If I had to lean one way or the other, it's, it's Daron Sharp, but he's not getting the usage yet that Armando is. So I think you could probably say it's a toss-up. Yeah, it seems like every time I look at the box score with UNC, Baycott's double-double or close to it, just a model <laughs> of consistency like that. Interesting stretch for the Tar Heels coming up here at Pitt, at Clemson, at Duke uh, in a row. Uh, who would have thought that maybe at Duke is the easiest of those three games? I don't know. I, I, uh, Clemson, the way it's playing right now. Uh, that Pitt game could be interesting, though. Uh, yeah, I was about to ready to, to heap a whole bunch of praise on Pitt and, and put them in the teams that we were going to talk about in depth, and then they go and lose at Wake Forest. Uh, not quite sure how they lost that game. Uh, looking at those three games coming up, how is UNC going to be at the end of that run, do you think? I think there's reasons to be optimistic because, you know, for as good as Pitt is, obviously some of some of Capel's team's weaknesses were exposed against Wake Forest. You know, Wake Forest had been close to getting its first ACC win under Steve Forbes, but um, to finally do it is a different story. So I, I think when you're talking about Pitt, obviously Justin Champagny is, he is the story. You know, you've got to stop him first and foremost. And I think that UNC has a pretty decent shot at doing that because through a combination of Leaky Black, who is a 6'8 wing, um, you know, he's versatile, he's strong, he's slippery. Um, he, he is one of the best perimeter defenders in the league. I think between a combination of throwing Leaky Black on him and throwing some of UNC's bigs on Champagny, hopefully get him in some foul trouble, um, you know, the, the size mismatch I think could be a problem for him. I, I think UNC can create enough problems for Champagny that guys like Johnson and Tony for, for Pitt are not able to sort of uh, pick up the slack that he'd be leaving behind. And then, you know, as I when you go back to UNC and you just look at the way this team is slowly still coming together, I mean, there are still pieces that haven't fully been tapped into. I, you know, I think one that I look at is Walker Kessler. This is a five-star big man that UNC gets out of Georgia. He's seven feet, seven foot one. Uh, he's got a tremendous wingspan. He's, he's, Probably got the best skill in terms of post moves on the team, but he missed a couple of weeks due to COVID protocols, got out of shape. Um, obviously, that's very easy to do, but as he keeps working back into the rotation, UNC adds another big to that front court, that that formidable front line. Um, I, I just really am optimistic about UNC's progress over the second half of the season, especially if uh, they can continue to integrate some of these pieces that they haven't yet done so fully. It's good that UNC can get another five-star to add to the mix. I think they were lacking in yeah, that. Yeah. Uh, it's funny to look at some of these teams. Uh, you know, I, I do want to mention uh, the other two teams that I thought had good weeks here. Florida State, 
which I seem to mention every week because I just really like this team for some reason. They were nine nine and two overall, five and one in the ACC. They beat Louisville uh, last week, and then they just crushed Clemson. I think they were up thirty at one point or something like that. It ended up being a nineteen point game. This team is just so like balanced and interesting to me. They had eight different players scoring double figures in those two games last week. <laughs> Uh, they shot 48% in both games, better than 42% on threes in both those games. This was the team that was favored to win the ACC tournament last year before everything got canceled. And then we were going to look in the, the postseason and say, oh, can Leonard Hamilton finally do it uh, in the NCAA tournament? Matthew, I'll ask you first on this. Uh, this was the team to beat last year. Could it be the team to beat again this year? Yeah, I'm not sh- fully on on board this year. I think they have you know a little bit of progress to go, and I feel like you know down the stretch, Florida State's a team where, and credit credit to Leonard Hamilton, by the way, as you just said there, he deserves you know a lot of respect. And I think you know for a number of reasons, maybe Tallahassee being a smaller market, Florida State being a football school, doesn't maybe get the credit he's deserved over a period of time and, and calling themselves the, the new bloods, right? Not the blue bloods. Um, but, you know, I think sometimes they shoot themselves in the foot a little bit, whether it's, you know, a few turnovers or, or just uh, not smart shot selection down the stretch. And, that, and, the, and they sometimes will override their, their enormous talent level. They have, they have talent again. I mean, Hamilton has been on a tear recruiting past couple of years i don't know where they were exactly they rank per the 247 sports composite but they're they're hanging up there they're getting consistently four and sometimes five star guys and um you know as far as this season's prospects go you know, i do think virginia's uh, got them and i think virginia's the best team in the league right now but uh, i put florida state you know top three i think they have uh, potential they have a front court they have solid guard guard play obviously with with scotty um and i think they have some pop i think this is a team that you know come march uh, you don't really want to want to face in the acc tournament you probably want to look on the bracket and hopefully your name is uh is facing a different team so that you can try to advance but uh power to power to leonard i'm interested in and what they do in these last six weeks right i mean you look at mid-january or late january now to to that first week of march is is those six weeks where we're talking we're starting to talk seeds and bracketology and, and each wins and each loss seems to have more, more weight. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream direct TV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on direct TV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on direct TV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. Direct TV has the most MLB games. Visit directtv.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Brennan, I want to ask you on the other side of the result from that Florida State game on Saturday, Clemson. <laughs> we mentioned it earlier. They've lost by an average of 24 points in their last three games. They just haven't looked anything <laughs> like what they're supposed to. What has happened to Clemson. Explain yourself. You need to explain to the listeners what you were thinking a couple weeks ago. Yeah, I mean, well, so let me say this, you know, clear, I I have a a bad track record as far as these sort of curses are concerned. You know, last year, first year on uh, the Duke beat, my first game, Stephen F. Austin happens, my first year back on the North Carolina beat, Worst season of Roy Williams' career. Um, when I took over the Carolina Panthers beat, Cam Newton got hurt and went out for the year and it ended up ending his tenure in Charlotte. So uh, these curses sort of follow me, I'm, I'm sad to say, Andy. But yeah, in terms of Clemson, um, I apologize to the Tigers. I apologize to Brad Brownell. Um, I've clearly put some awful, awful voodoo jinx on them. Uh, you know, I, I think that the defense obviously is going to get most of the attention. They were number one in adjusted defensive efficiency a couple of weeks ago, have since been, as you mentioned, uh, promptly slaughtered by 35, 18, and 19 points in a row. Um, but I think that the more pertinent issue for Clemson at this point is that they can't score the ball. If Amir Sims is not, and, and I am a self-professed Amir Sims fan, I don't shy away from that, but if Amir Sims is not playing up to that sort of all-ACC caliber that he's capable of, um, this is a team with a lot of role players that sort of struggles to get things going. Uh, and you think about some of the other guys that Clemson has, it's not like any of these guys are really able to go and, and sort of dominate it on their own. You know, all Amir Dawes, Nick Honor, um, Hunter Tyson should, should not be really counted on as major, major role players, Clyde Trapp, John Newman. Um, but yeah, it, it really just comes back to Sims and the burden that he's being asked to carry, I, I think is probably too enormous for any singular player in the league. Um, obviously, the defense is going to get most of the attention, but the reason Clemson's not winning games right now, plain and simple, is they, they're not putting the ball in the basket enough. One of the teams that Clemson lost to uh, this week is a team we haven't really talked about on this podcast yet. Now, I'll take the blame for that, but also they had three straight postponements, so <laughs> there was no reason to talk to them because <laughs> they weren't playing for the longest time, but Georgia Tech, 7-4, uh, 3-2 in the ACC. Uh, yeah, they beat Clemson come very close to beating UVA on the road. I, I was kind of keeping up, keeping track of that on, on Twitter with some of the people I follow, and I thought they were going to pull that off until UVA made that run in the second half. Uh, Jose Alvarado is an exceptional player. He had 28, eight assists, six steals in that UVA game. Uh, Georgia Tech was a weird team. They started the season, they lost to Georgia State and Mercer to start the season. I think the Georgia State score was like 123 to 120. Like I have no idea what happened in that game, but they seem to have settled in a little bit. They had won five straight before losing to UVA with that, you know, that big break in between. Uh, I'll throw it to you guys and Matthew, you first. Uh, I don't know a ton about Georgia Tech, but it seems like Georgia Tech is, is a pretty decent team here. Yeah, I'm with you there. I saw their first couple of results, Andy, and I was like, you know, what? I, I read some preseason previews. I saw the roster. 
thought this was going to be a solid club that was going to compete and finally not be the Georgia Tech that everyone's, you know, circling on the, on their schedule. Like, okay, we got we got one, or if they play twice, two wins here in ACC play, right? I mean, the past two years, Georgia Tech has really struggled uh, mostly to score against top half teams in the conference. And, and this year they seem to have some pop. I caught the end of that UVA game on, on Saturday. I thought they were going to win that game, and that was going to be a huge – uh, resume boost. I know Virginia was, I believe, 13 in the country at the time. I'm, uh, we'll see what they what comes out today as far as uh, uh, rankings. But let's just say top 15 would have had that top 15 win. Obviously, a signature win for their resume. I think they're again one of those teams, kind of like a Syracuse right now, that are um, capable of bubble territory. Sort of there, sort of not. You know, they'll, they'll go beat uh, like like you said, they'll go beat Clemson by almost 20. And then they might go lose to to uh, one of the worst teams in the league. So we'll, let's see how they do, obviously, against Duke, Florida State coming up, and then uh, Notre Dame. I mean, that, those are, you know, ideally if you're Georgia Tech, you, you get two out of those three right now, and you, you're just trying to keep uh, pressing. But as you said, Alvarado is, is a such an exciting player. I think he's one of the most exciting to watch just from a pure basketball standpoint in the whole league. Forget uh, wins and losses. He is, uh, he's on you as a defender. He attacks, he can shoot. Uh, he's really fun to watch. I don't know about his NBA prospects, but he's, uh, he's a really, really good college player. Brandon, what is your confidence level on Josh Pastner as a coach? <laughs> this is, this had the weirdest tenure of like any coach I can imagine. It feels like he's always under some sort of investigation and sanctions coming down. <laughs> you know, in 11 and nine in the ACC last year with like the most timely postseason ban of all time, like to get banned from a postseason that doesn't actually happen. Like L- LSU, LSU, that's beautiful. LSU Georgia football. <laughs> just, L- L- LSU football raises a glass to Josh Patner's postseason ban from last year. <laughs> that's just beautiful. Is, is this, guy a good coach is is he going to be able to make it happen at georgia tech i i what to make of josh passner i feel like we could do a whole hour-long pod just on this question um but i i do think he's a good coach and i think he has clearly got three guys that he can depend upon and um in the acc if you've got that and especially if one of them is a dynamic guard like alvarado is um then you got a chance and, you know, I, I'm, I was just looking into some of Alvarado's more advanced stats right now in terms of strictly conference play. He is third in the percentage of minutes he's played, second in terms of his true shooting percentage and his effective uh, field goal percentage. He's seventh in assist rate, second in steal percentage. I mean, the guy the guy is just playing out of his mind right now, you know, against Virginia and that pack line D, 20 points, four or five shooting from three. Um all of these things to me come together and, and it sounds like the question is, is he going to be a first, second or a third team all ACC player this year? You know, he's been that good. So, but in terms of can Passner lead them there, can he actually lead the Yellow Jackets back to the tournament? Here's where I, I don't have confidence because you do look at that early season, you know, sort of slate and you see, okay, I, I understand that this is the the weirdest college basketball season we've had in some time. The pandemic obviously has affected every team in every way, but the Georgia State loss, the Mercer loss, um, letting Virginia, who's who's a good team, but letting Virginia storm back the way that that happened this weekend. Um, I think there are just enough slip ups that give you some pause about if Josh Passner is going to be able to make the most of the talent that he has this season. Um, I am I am optimistic in their chances if if Michael DeVoe keeps playing up to his potential, but against UVA he he really struggled was 
one of eight, three points in 26 minutes. Um, he's going to have to play to a higher a higher pace, a higher level than he did against the Cavaliers. Um, and I'm not sure if Josh Passner is the guy who's going to will that out of him consistently, if that makes sense. At Duke on Tuesday versus Florida State on Saturday, I feel like we will get a very good idea of what Georgia Tech is about this week. Uh, I wanted to finish the pod by just asking you guys to rank your top five in the ACC. Uh, let's just go alternate back and forth. Let's, let's start with your number one team. Uh, Matthew, who you got number one right now? Sure. I think, you know, just to reiterate earlier, I think it's Virginia right now. Of course, as we were joking, I think beforehand, these things are changing by by the day. Seemingly, this league is, is a kind of a toss-up, but if there has been one consistent team, I got to pick UVA. I agree. I'm right there with you. Um, you know, I think the, the the real difference for UVA this year is obviously the defense is always going to be good under Tony Bennett. The pack line does what it does. It just suffocates the life out of opponents. But um, the offense between Sam Hauser and Jay Huff has just really gone to another level. Um, and, and right now, crazy as it seems, and let me double check this so I'm not wrong. Okay, I'm not. Right now, according to Ken Palm, Jay Huff is the ACC conference player. Of the He's year. been outstanding. He has. He's, you know, he hits threes now. It's wild to watch. Yeah. Um, I, I, I looked this up because I was so amazed at his stats, but Jay Huff uh, is shooting 44.1% from three on 2.8 attempts per game. He's made eight out of 17 threes in his last three games. And, and right now, you know, between him and Hauser, I think Virginia has two legitimate conference player of the year candidates. Um, and if the defense keeps up, you know, the, the real question for them, I think, and, and Virginia, it's not just are they the best team, but is this a group that has the overall breadth of talent to compete when we get against some of the Gonzagas and the Baylors? You know, right. the, being the best in the ACC this year doesn't mean the same thing that it has in years past. But um, for now, I, I definitely agree with you, Matt. I think it's the Cavaliers, and, and I actually don't think it's particularly close. Uh, UVA plays versus Syracuse tonight. We mentioned that at Virginia Tech on Saturday. Uh, that's an interesting game. I should mention this real quickly. Doug Doughty, former colleague of mine at the Roanoke Times, that will be the last game of his illustrious sports writing career. He's retiring. Uh, he's been there since 1974 and has been on the UVA beat since 1978. That is a year before I was born. And guys, I am old. Okay, that is how long Doug Dowdy has been there. Uh, incredible guy, incredibly nice to me. Uh, came up and introduced himself to me when I first started covering UVA back in 2004, I think it was now. Uh, but just great career for him and wish him well uh, in retirement here. I don't know what he's going to do with himself, but uh, he's been a great guy to have around on the ACC beat all this time. Certainly a legend. Uh, number two, number two in the ACC, Matthew, who you got? Well, he, he's got Mike Waters beat, uh, who I believe started on the Syracuse beat in 87 or 88. So two, two uh, long timers, obviously, you know, we respect uh, both of those guys for, for going through it for so long. But number two, I got to go with uh, Florida State. Uh, this is a team that just pulled them up nine and two right now, eight and one at home, um, five and one in the ACC. I think they've won four, four straight now it is. So this is a club that, look, Last year, obviously, uh, they thought they were, you know, they said in interviews I, I saw before the year, they thought last season had it not been, you know, canceled in March, they were going to go to the Final Four. That was how good they believed they were. Uh, obviously, it got shortened. They win the ACC title in that bizarre 
uh, ceremony in Greensboro. I think Brendan, you were there, and that was it, right? And I, I saw them go on the buses. They went to the to the airport from the from the, the Marriott there, and that was it. That was the season. Uh, but I think this is a team, while while not quite at last year's level, um, right now with the with the weaker ACC, you know, they're gonna they're gonna get that number two spot. Yeah, again, I'm I'm in agreement. I think Florida State's second. Um, and I think the thing that's encouraging me, if you are a Seminoles fan, the thing that's encouraging about this team is everybody knows that that MJ Walker and Scotty Barnes are, are sort of two of the guys. Everyone knows that they're great, but um, I've been really impressed by their role players of late. You know, I, I know Anthony Polite's missed, I think, two games now with a shoulder injury, but, um, you know, this is a guy who is making over 50% of his threes. Um Raquan Gray has been great. He was great in the North Carolina game. Uh, Balsa Copravica, um, he's also been great. He he he's you know one of those. It feels like a, a thousand bigs that Leonard Hamilton has at his disposal. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know I think Florida State doesn't have the the elite elite talent it did last year. Like you think about how good a guy like Trent Forrest was, how good um, you know Devin Vassell, Patrick Williams coming off the bench. He was a perfect six man for them. Um, so I I don't think that this team is quite as good as that. But certainly, yeah, when you look at the state of the league more generally. Um, that length, that experience, the ability of role players to sort of go off on any given game, um, it, it makes Leonard Hamilton's team really, really tough to beat. And uh, yeah, I, I still think there's a shot that they have another NCAA tournament run in them, just maybe not quite the one that they would have imagined it was last year. All right, enough of the layups. We all you knew it was UVA and Florida State one and two. Matthew, who is your number three team in the ACC right now? This is where it gets hard, I think. Yeah, I was trying to think about that, you know, throughout this show and even now. And I don't know if I have a, a real good answer. I have to pick UNC. Uh, Brandon, you probably would disagree. You know much more about the team, and we'll see how their young guard play develops here. But I'm, I'm, you know, I'm bullish on Roy Williams. I'm bullish on what they can do. They have the front court uh, in a league with not a lot of great front courts. I think that can help help you second chance points, rebounds, doing the little things inside. You know, not getting into foul trouble with bigs. I, I pick UNC. I think they can they can sneak into that third spot. I mean, as far as the standings go, Virginia Tech and Louisville are, and Pitt are kind of in that mix. But I think UNC is a, a better team than, than all three of this. Interesting. I, I yeah, I I am bullish on what UNC is going to be able to accomplish the second half of the year. I definitely think it's a tournament team, but I don't think they're quite third in the league good yet. And the reason I say that is just because they haven't done it for long enough. You know, like these, these past couple of games, Caleb Love has come on strong, but um, need to see that, I think, against some some more uh, high caliber competition, to put it nicely. I mean, if you if you go and you beat up on some of these, uh, you know, lower teams, NC State has obviously been in a bit of a skid lately. Um, but yeah, I think the third team that I'm going to go with is actually Virginia Tech. And I know that this is um, a team that that's coming off a loss. Obviously, Syracuse looked great when, when they were dismantling them. But um, I just really buy Mike Young and the style that, that the Hokies have got. I got to see them live in Blacksburg against Duke a couple of weeks ago. Um, Kevin Alum is legit. You know, I think he has the potential to be an all-conference player. Um, I love, love, love Jalen Cohn. Uh, he's from one outside of Winston-Salem, and the fact that 
you know, no, none of the four North Carolina schools were able to pull him in is truly astounding because he's he's a heck of a player. He's really fun. Um, but yeah, I, I I think that Virginia Tech will continue to struggle against some of the bigger teams in the league. And and obviously Syracuse had a great offense the other night. But um, I do like the Hokies, and I think that uh, especially given how early into Mike Young's tenure they are and, and how bad they were last year, uh, I'm really impressed by what he's been able to do with that club. Yeah, the Hokies would look a lot better if Aluma and Cone got going offensively. They've been a little bit of a, a funk here recently, and the team has struggled as a result. Uh, all right, UVA, Florida State, UNC for Matthew. Who do you have fourth? Probably Virginia Tech. Yeah, just to your points, I thought VT, you know, to, to the style you talk about with, with what Coach Young has done, and I know he's beat, beaten a lot of uh, Hall of Famers already. You've seen the lists on, on Twitter, right? I mean, he's beaten, uh, I believe, what, Williams – K, I think, in his first couple of years. Izzo. Time, there's Izzo's Izzo. There. Mm-hmm. Gay Wright beat Villanova earlier yeah. this year, too. <laughs> Basically, just go down the Hall of Fame list. Those are his wins, right? But, um, no, he's – look, what I was impressed with at the uh, – I'll keep this brief. At the Carrier Dome on Saturday was um, everyone's involved on their bench. I like the style. They're obviously kind of pretty – Pretty intense defense, face guard. That's kind of a, a hallmark of his brand. Um, but all the assistants are standing up, clapping the whole game, communicating, calling out screens. The bench is as involved um, as a team, and I haven't really seen any other visiting teams do that this year, especially being spaced out with with masks and, and just you know the overall feel of kind of being out of it if you're not in the game. But uh, credit to, to VT. I think they're they're a quality team. They're going to obviously, uh, you know, I would think, make the tournament this year at the way they're going. 4-0 at home, 5-2 and in the ACC, uh, 11-3 overall. If you're VT, you just got to hope you don't repeat what they did last year, right? The hot start and then and then where was Virginia Tech in February? They were nowhere to be found. So that's the, that's the one thing just to keep an eye on. I, I, I'm going to flip flop with you here. I'm going to go with North Carolina at number four. Um, because yeah, I do, I, I do really buy the front court. I think it's still one of the deepest in the nation. Um, you know, anytime that you've got three, five star bigs in the ACC preseason player of the year, uh, who at times comes off the bench, I would say that you're, you're probably pretty loaded inside. Um, yeah, the only reason for hesitation with UNC, I think would be, um, the reliance on freshmen who have not consistently proven that they're capable of playing up to an ACC, you know, caliber. So if Caleb Love continues to look like the slashing, scoring, lottery-level guard that I think a lot of us thought he would be this season, then yeah, I, I definitely think there's a chance for North Carolina to sort of hang in this top four teams realm um, and to get one of those double buys, which would be you know a heck of a turnaround considering how bad the Tar Heels were last year. But uh, yeah, the the inexperience and the inconsistency of some of those freshman perimeter players still does give me a pause, but. Uh, just looking at the rest of the league, I sort of back myself into North Carolina at number four. All right. We're already backing into picks. We only have one more one more seat in the lifeboat here. Uh, number five, everybody else is getting tossed overboard. Number five, Matthew, who do you have? It's a toss-up at this point. I mean, five, like we talked about, four to eight, really, is just kind of up for grabs. It's obviously a little early right now, late January. Um, right now, it's tough. I as, if I had to say today, I'd probably say Pittsburgh, believe it or not. They're four and two in the league. Um, I know they're coming off a loss, but they have some uh, impressive wins lately. They can really rebound. They're one of the best rebounding teams in the league. Obviously, with Justin Champagny, you know, are probably a first team all ACC guy. I think he leads the league in points and, and rebounds. Um, having seen him uh, on, you know, last week demolish uh, Syracuse, which was 
funny enough, his his uh, dream school in high school, but Justin was only, a, I believe, a three-star recruit, goes to a rebuild in, in Pittsburgh under Jeff Capel and, and then goes for, I think, 26 and 14 against Syracuse. So <laughs> uh, he stuffed it to them. But he's a really dynamic player, fun to watch. I think Pitt's five today. Of course, that could change you know, in a few days. I, I love Justin Champagne. I, I have a, a super big player crush on Justin Champagne. The way he plays is like, you know, he, he, he's not great from three. He's just sort of physical. He's, he's always in the right place at the right time. Um, for, the sake of, for the sake of being different, I'll say Louisville. And, and that's as much because I believe in Louisville. And, and it's also because I just saw them, you know, sort of do against Duke what I think they have the potential to do against some of the other teams in the league. And obviously, Carlyke Jones, you know, Andy uh, knows Carlyke so well, but uh, he's incredible. I mean, the way he takes over in the second half of games, I'd seen it, you know, a couple other times this season, but seeing it up close in person, I mean, Duke did not have an answer for this guy. And when you combine the way that he's been playing with David Johnson's potential, David Johnson changed the trajectory of the Duke game on Saturday, you know, in the second half, Chris Mack comes out and puts David Johnson, who I, I think is 6'4", 6'5", maybe. Um, they put him on Matt Hurt in the post, and they just let him front everything. Matt Hurt's 6'9", you know, 225-ish. And David Johnson did a really, really good job of making Matt life's, uh, of making Matt's life miserable. So I think that as long as those two are playing up to this level, we know that guards you know, sort of drive the engine of college basketball. If, if Carleek Jones and David Johnson keep playing at that level. If Malik Williams is able to come back, we still haven't seen him yet this year. If Sam Williamson's able to give uh, the Cardinals a little bit more than he has been, I think that this is a team that, you know, is still getting slept on a little bit. Um, but Carleek, to me, it's a, it's a battle between him and Champagny for ACC Player of the Year right now. They've both been tremendous. And um, yeah, it'll be fun to see which of those two teams sort of rise to the top in the, in the next six weeks or so. Wow, you guys mentioned six teams total between you, discussed a bunch more, and Duke wasn't even on the radar of anybody. What a weird season this is in ACC basketball. This was fun. Thank you to both of you for coming on. I think we worked this uh, podcast pretty well with three people like this. We'll have to do this again sometime. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having us. Yeah, Matt, uh, absolutely. A, a, a true, th- I mean, this was a five-star signing that we got, Andy. I mean, we did great to bring Matt into the fold today. Uh, we'll ease him in off the bench, and then we'll get more minutes <laughs> as the thing goes on later. There you go. Don't get my ego up too much. But no, thank you guys for having me a blast. I, look, I, I have you guys on my on my Spotify as a, as a part of my routine for podcasts, walking, you know, exercise. So a blast to be on. All right, that's going to do it for the show. Thanks, everybody, for listening to us again. Uh, go to Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast. Rate and review us. We really appreciate those good view- reviews. Uh, subscribe to The Athletic. You can listen to this podcast ad-free on The Athletic as a subscriber. Go to theathletic.com slash pod. You'll find out all the good deals we have. Follow us on Twitter. I'm at Andy Bitter VT. Uh, at Brendan R. Marks, at Matthew Goot, G-U-T 21. Uh, We'll do this again sometime. We'll talk to you again next week about everything going on in the ACC. Thanks. Thanks.